It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. All right, and welcome. You are listening to season two of Brain Droppings podcast. I am your host, as always, Joe Show, to take you along for the next untold number of minutes as we discuss topics ranging from comedy to life stories to basically anything that's kind of mixed up in the cement mixer of a brain that I have. Uh, today's episode is titled The Third Rail, and I called it The Third Rail for a reason. Uh, third Rail in most of the English lexicon is an an abbreviation or a phrase or term that's used to discuss two items uh, for which you should not have common discussions about with people in general. Um, and that would be politics and spiritualism. I mean, why the fuck not? I mean, I, I, I don't mind talking about them. I've done a phenomenal job. Oh, that's a call back to season one. If you need to, listen to the season finale to understand why that word was important. Anywho, um, in today's episode, I'm going to discuss, because I've done a great job of not discussing it throughout season one or kind of indicating my political stance one way or another, I'm going to kind of talk about the elephant in the room, the thing that you cannot avoid regardless of your media consumption these days and that's politics folks you know you have a, a 2020 presidential election that is fast approaching you have a ever thinning herd of democratic challengers to the incumbent president of the united states donald trump um, not afraid to use those words donald trump in a sentence and we're going to take a look at some of the uh, more polarizing candidates. Uh, take a look into American politics this week. And this week is the last week of September. So a lot has happened. I'm actually doing this podcast on the 29th of September 2019. So a lot of this is very um, current. It's very up to date. It's at the forefront of our minds. And we don't necessarily have great avenues to discuss some of the things that are bothering us outside of social media, which I find to be the most toxic political, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The most toxic environment to express political views. It's just become so polarized. It's an us versus them mentality. Um, and I want to discuss that at length throughout the podcast. And then I'm going to kind of take it back again, as I try to do in every episode, I, I might get a little bit of cathartic therapy out of you know, talking about a prescient uh, topic or something that's at the forefront of my brain. But then I also like to tie in some sort of positive tip into, you know, the week at hand, the month at hand, the day at hand. Um, and so with that, I'm going to bring up another third rail topic, and that is spiritualism. Um, you know, regardless, of, if you've listened to my podcast over the first season, you understand that I may not necessarily have a super tight relationship with J-Star. Um, however, that being said, I do have a bit of spiritualism tied to me. Uh, 
in a very odd sense. And I'll, I'll get into that during the podcast and explain it to you a little bit. And, you know, as always, I welcome you to digest this podcast, however you digest podcasts, however you're listening to it now, continue in that realm. If you're a new listener, understand that you can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Music or Google Play, however you like to pronounce it these days. Um, tune in, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Radio.com. I mean, we're everywhere, folks, and it's a good thing. I don't mind getting my voice out there. It's nice to see that the the few in the flock have turned into a bit of a herd. I'm liking that. Uh, so I'll continue doing what I'm doing. I try to do it uh, each episode in a non-threatening way. I try to add a little bit of comedy into my podcast, but I do get my points across. And I think that's what people are gravitating towards is the fact that I'm not afraid to speak my mind and do so in a constructive manner rather than a polarizing or a single-sided manner. And I applaud each and every one of you who have listened and written into the show either through our Twitter handle, which is at droppings pod droppings underscore pod sorry i always screw that one up uh on twitter and or writing directly to the show on our email account which is brain droppings pod at gmail.com i want to thank you all for doing that i do appreciate your your emails your feedback your ideas directions whatever it is that you provide to me i I absolutely love it i hope that you enjoy the fact that i'm reaching back out and opening up a dialogue with you because a lot of the topics that we discuss as with most podcasts that are single seated um you're getting one point of view so I appreciate it. I want to keep it going. Please continue to listen and find us. Subscribe where you see us. So if you're on iTunes, subscribe to the podcast. You'll be updated whenever we drop a new one. If you've listened throughout the first season, you see that I kind of every... I say I'm going to try to drop one every week, but life gets in the way, folks. I have four kids. You know, I have a life outside of the podcast realm, but when I have an opportunity to sit down, when I have an opportunity where I can carve an hour out, and you know, truth be told, it's far more than an hour because the content that you get is a portion of the research that goes into the topics that I'm bringing you. So when I'm able to set aside four or five hours a week to put together some strong content for you, um, I like to find that additional hour where I can sit down in front of my mic and just get it all out. So once again, you are listening to Season Dose. Season two of the Brain Droppings Podcast, episode one, The Third Rail. Let's get at it. Pray every night I can do it all over again. Gotta love the way that I start in with a little mellow Kenny Chesney before getting into the the meat of the third rail uh, episode of season two, the Brain Droppings podcast. Uh, so let's talk politics, shall we? I mean, can you make anybody more uncomfortable in your life? It's like almost as uncomfortable as when you hear that uncomfortable knock the at the front door and you open it up and it's the man or the woman in a shirt and tie and they go, uh, I'd like to talk to you about God. 
<laughs> I really wish it wouldn't. Uh, so politics has that type of effect on people. And we are living in an unprecedented time in our nation's history, to be honest with you, regarding politics. I mean, it's not as unprecedented as it may seem or as it is broadcast. So what I'd like to do is let's back the clock up, okay, just a little bit. I mean, I can't go back as far as the Nixon days, but I can go as far back as Reagan, Bush, Clinton, Bush, Obama, and now Trump. I can I can I can encompass that that realm of presidencies and I'll tell you politics in general at least in my lifetime and my cognizant lifetime. So let's talk about when I become aware of politics and I think it was oh geez 85 maybe 84 85 um, Ronald Reagan came to my high school um, and my junior high and high school were melded together. So he came to speak um, to our student body. And that's really the first indoctrination into any type of politics that I ever had in my entire life. Now, I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know anything other than he was the president of the United States. Other than that, nothing. So you have to fast forward to when I become a cognizant voter. And that's probably 1996. Um, and I think we all know that that's around the... No, no, no. Is it 92? 92 is when I became a cognizant voter. Um, and that was the fall of Bush 1 and the rise of Bill Clinton to the political forefront. And at that time, I was enlisted in the United States military. So I was paying attention to these things. And as a young voter, I gravitated towards Bill Clinton. He was suave. He was well-spoken. He seemed like he had a plan. And I bought in hook, line, and sinker. So that was my indoctrination into cognizant politics. And to be honest with you, it's never been a topic that has overly interested me one way or the other. I, I, I honestly don't really care that much. Um, I don't feel strongly, like I didn't feel strongly for uh, Clinton the second time around. I didn't feel that strongly for Bush. I did gravita gravitate towards Bush after 9-11 because in my lifetime, that, that portion of time from September of 2001 until probably, uh, you know, it's politics, so it was a lifetime, maybe September of 2002, um, the nation really came together. We were not identifying as Republicans and at least the common folk, the people that I hung out with. We weren't identifying by political party. We were identifying as Americans. We were united in a determination to not forget the events of September 11th while also making sure that we sought vengeance uh, for the, the terrorist attack on the World Trade Centers in New York. So I think... After that, from 2002 on, I have watched the political landscape in the United States of America become so polarized, so vehement. And I'll be honest with you, what the Democrats are doing now uh, to the Republicans versus what the Republicans were doing, say, I don't know, 10 years ago to Barack Obama is similar yet ratcheted. So if you put in a, a quotient for inflation of rhetoric, I would say that what you're seeing now is exactly what the Republicans were doing to the new administration of Barack Obama. Now, not to the extent, obviously, of 
the coverage that we see now. It wasn't leading every single newscast every single day. But a lot of that has to do with the candor of Barack Obama as a president. He he rose above that fray. He wasn't one to to sling mud in the mud-slinging pit that was the political biosphere of commentary. Um, however, you have a commander-in-chief now who has absolutely no problem getting dirt, getting his hands dirty and throwing slings and arrows back, defending himself. He's the kind of guy that when you describe a person that goes into a fight and, you know, they say that, you know, when you, you know, if you go to a fist fight, he's the guy that carries the knife. If you go to a knife fight, he's the guy with a gun. If you go to a gun fight, he's the one with the tank. He's always going to one up you. He's always going to escalate to try to intimidate. And I don't understand how lawmakers as a group have yet to formulate a, a strategy that allows them to compete for the hearts and minds of the voters in an effective manner that doesn't continuously fester and feed the opposition. And that goes for both sides of the aisle. Um, right now, we're seeing a Democratic Party that since the election results in 2018 have, or 16, sorry, have, uh, have gone out of their way, out of their way to, to, to try to defile and, and push um, a president to the brink of impeachment in any way, shape, or form possible. And, you know, it's easy to get stuck in the surface headlines that we read on Google or New York Times, Washington Post, Fox, CNN, MSNBC, any of them. It's easy to just take the surface shouting and form your opinions from it. But when you dig deeper, when you you take a 30,000 foot view, and I talk about this a lot in previous episodes that I like, you know, living in the weeds is one opportunity that we have as humans, but also taking a, an aerial view of a, a problem, a situation, um, an endeavor allows you a better perspective on the overall goal at hand. Um, I am a 30,000 foot viewer of just about everything. Very rarely do I find myself living in the weeds and I do it on purpose because it, it provides me a better perspective on understanding human behavior, understanding what are the motivating factors that push people towards the way that they are. So, I mean, I'm burying the lead. The huge news in American politics over the course of the last two weeks has been the impeachment inquiry that Nancy House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has, has levied um, towards the president, uh, Donald Trump, and the intertwining of a whistleblower complaint and two completely different, I don't know, views. Now, I've read it. It's an it's a it's a it's a multiple page memo. I've read it. Um, I've read the transcripts of the phone call with the president of Ukraine. Um, I have a different take. I'm not of the Republican mindset that it was nothing wrong to quote the president. It was a perfect call. Um, nor am I of the mindset of the Democrats for which this is an impeachable offense of um, misdemeanors and high crime. I, I just, I don't, I don't get it. What I see 
from again from a higher view what i see are uh, a, a party a political party in america that lost an election they thought they had in the bag and has systematically gone to extreme measures to try to reverse that result in any way shape or form and thwarting them in that effort continuously has been the current prosperity of our economy and the strength of our dollar. Well, I beg the it begs the question, what the fuck did you expect was going to happen when you elected a business genius? Now, Democrats are very quick to point out the fact that uh, Trump has had multiple bankruptcies in the course of his career. Um, he's gone into financial ruin and then come back out of the rose from the ashes like a phoenix and, you know, crash back down to earth again. And that what we are seeing are one of the spikes in his lifelong career of inflation and deflation, inflation and deflation. I get that. However, there are no current signs that we are anywhere near peaking or cresting the view towards a reception. And unfortunately, the last the last taste in the American voters' mouth of the Democratic Party in the presidency was the recession of 2008. Now, I happen to be, again, from a 30,000-foot view, that recession was needed. We were running off of uh, failed policies that allowed home uh, home costs to inflate to stupid numbers. Uh, a house that in a median market would cost you 300000 was ballooning to five twenty-five. That's an unsustainable model. Um, it's, you know, the housing market as a whole is a cyclical market. So there are going to be ups and downs. And when you leverage too much of your industry in urban and rural development, through home building, you are going to see collapses along the way. Um, unfortunately for Democrats, that happened on their watch. And since President Trump has taken office, the economy as a whole has gotten stronger. Now, you can point to pockets of industry that have suffered. And you can say that, you know, right here, this is this is where he's failed. And that's great. But again, if a voter has a half a brain cell and looks at it from a, a broader view, the American dollar has never been stronger. The economy has never been stronger. The unemployment rate across majority and minorities in this nation has never been stronger. So where does that leave us? Well, that leaves us with the only other way out is to find a crime, find an abuse of power, find something. And there is about 49.9% of this country that leans left and there is 49.9 percent of this company country that leans right so you have a vast group of people looking for nooks and crannies looking for anything they can to needle in needle in needle in and make their point make it happen for themselves um what it is supposed to do is if it's not successful if you're not successful in pushing the president out of the office then your next objective is to disrupt the growth so that you have a platform to stand on i i look at it this way folks you know i i have voted across both aisles since my legal voting age in 1992 i have voted for democrats 
I have voted for Republicans. I have voted for Democrats. I have voted for Republicans. And to be honest with you, in this last election, I stayed home. I wasn't, I'm not a Trump guy. I was not a Trump guy at the election time. Um, do I think he's done a fine job for this company, uh, country? Yes, I do. I, I honestly do. I'm not abashed to say that. I just, I struggle with the same things that a lot of moderate Democrats struggle with, and that is the candor, the personality, the, the overall scrapper mentality. I mean, that's good in business. I don't think that's good on the, on the international stage. So I struggle with that. I don't like the president of the United States as a person. We would not go out and have a glass of milk because he doesn't drink alcohol. We would not go out for a drink. Um, but on the flip side of that coin, I can't argue with the progress that's transpired in this country. Now, if you listen to the last season and specifically near the tail end of that season, you know that I was passively looking for an opportunity uh, from the company that I was with. And fortunately for me, I had that opportunity present itself and I've been able to acquiesce into another company. And I'm very happy with where I'm at. That is a sign of a good economy when there are jobs available while you have a job you know they're out there there are opportunities for people they may not necessarily be the best opportunities depending upon your chosen career field but there are opportunities out there for me i was lucky i found a position that i wanted in fact i was wanted by the company that hired me so to that end things have gone extremely well for me now on the flip side of that, we have the 2020 election coming up, and we've now sat through and suffered through multiple debates, and there will be more, and then the primary season will happen. And I've been doing my due diligence and trying to vet and understand the individual Democratic challengers for the presidency of the United States, and to which they could, in some way, earn my vote. Because at this point... If you had a gun to my head and said, you have to make a choice, I'm going to vote for the person who's in the position who's doing the work that that is creating the environment for which I am living in. So I don't like change unless I can be assured that the change that I'm looking at is good. I'm not a risk taker. I'm not a gambler. I don't I don't just throw my chips on the table and say, all right, let's see what happens here. You know, I, I really like to understand. And when I look at the Democratic field right now, I'm disheartened. And, you know, if you're a Democrat and you're listening to to my podcast and you happen to be um, a new a new style progressive uh, Democrat, I don't know why you're listening to my podcast. I should be the most offensive and triggering son of a bitch you've ever listened to in your life. However, if you are a Kennedy Democrat, if you're a if you're a, a Democrat from the old school who are basically today's moderate Republicans, yet you still vote Democrat, um, I challenge you to show me one candidate in this field. And I grew up in a in a uh, Democratic uh, f- uh, family. You know, m- my family voted Democrat. They were working class, you know, working middle class. Uh, they were Kennedy supporters. And we grew up in Massachusetts. I mean, Jesus, does it get any more blue than that? However, certain things have transpired in the course of my life that have offered me the opportunity 
to broaden my horizons and look outside of that. I joined the military. Uh, by joining the military, you tend to lean slightly to the center if you're left. And so I did. And then I became an independent business owner and a successful one at that. Thank you very much. And by doing such, I became very educated on taxes. I became very educated on um, hard work, determination, moving, th- moving the needle forward, working, my favorite word when I owned my companies, working lean, getting the most out of the least to maximize the return so that I could reinvest into my company. So I leaned even further towards the right. Now, I do not, and I want to make this absolutely clear. If you're listening, I do not subscribe to the ideological foundations of either the Democratic nor the Republican Party. I am my own person. I do not vote by letter. I do not vote by party. I vote by individual. Always have. Will continue to. And I think that if you are stooge enough to vote by letter and to not and to vote by party and not by the medal of the individual who's running, you, my friend, are a sheep. You, my friend, are an absolute lemming. You, my friend, are the easiest of the group to con. So my PSA on the politic perspective here is to be your own voter. Don't allow my topic, you know, my my subject matter to to sway you left or right. Don't allow Tucker Carlson or Rachel Maddow or name your talking head from your liberal or conservative news provider to sway your ability to do your own research, identify your own candidate, and make your own choice. That is what a democracy is. A democracy is not a bunch of lemmings attached to two parties that support a candidate simply because of the party that they are affiliated with. A democracy is is a country in which the word of the people becomes the law, the majority And I could do an entire podcast on how I feel social justice warriors and the PC police have infiltrated and inverted the equation of majority rules. Because that, folks, is what a democracy is. We the people vote. We the people decide. And before you start getting all crazy crunchy on me and start throwing electoral college bullshit at me, I will tell you this. The system was put in place because if it were just on the popular vote, over 80% of the vote would be counted across Texas, California, Florida, and the Northeast. That's not fair to our folks in the Midwest. That's not fair to our folks in the Plain States. And that's not fair to our folks in the Pacific Northwest. That is why we have an electoral college. That is why we will continue to have an electoral college. Unless, of course... Everybody's open to finding a compromise in which we find a balance of the popular vote to ensure that there is fairness, a topic or term in Washington that is not very well loved by either party, fairness. Now, in looking at the Democratic challengers for the presidency of the United States, we have a couple of frontrunners, and we should 
be talking about them, right? Because this is a podcast and I'm doing it on the third rail, which is something that you shouldn't even be talking about at your own dinner table because it tends to cause problems when you discuss politics with friends and family. Because most families in today's society are split. You have Republicans and Democrats and they feel extremely party specific about a candidate. Um, so when we look at the Democratic challengers, you have Joe Biden leading uh, as of this week leading. Nope, I take that back. No, I think he still is. I don't know. It's within a it's within the margin of error, but you have a tie. How about that? You have a tie between Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren. I happen to know a lot about both because Elizabeth Warren is a Democrat from the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, which is one state away from New Hampshire. She's on the news a lot. She's been a national figure since the last election cycle because of um, her outspokenness towards the president the current president of the United States, Donald Trump, and the Republican Party in general, as well as her um, political views on uh, redistribution of wealth and reparations for slavery, as well as um, her own scandal slash controversy of advancing her career and educational background by claiming that she was um, a Native American in heritage. And that's been proven through a DNA test that she is, in fact, I don't want to I don't want to be accused of lying here. She is, in fact, Native American. I believe it was point zero 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 two three. But there you go. She is. Um, I personally would never check a box on an application saying that I was a minority if I had point zero 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 you know give it the kick two three percent of any other nationality other than Caucasian white which is what I am um and trust me there's going to be another podcast where we're going to talk about privilege and I'm going to tell you about my life story and how I don't feel like I'm that privileged but we'll that's a story for another day and I'll piss off millennials that day um but anywho so you have Elizabeth Warren um, you have Joe Biden. Joe is probably the better candidate uh, simply because up until this week, he was just the vice president under Obama, did a lot of good work, um, was a senator from Pennsylvania, known as a fighting guy, a union supporter, um, a guy that was, you know, just a solid dude, you know, for the working man. And to be honest with you, I actually like Joe Biden. Um I liked Joe Biden when he was vice president for President Obama. However, Joe Biden, to me, has at least, again, my opinion, and this is from watching a lot of coverage on Joe Biden. Um, I know that in mainstream media, they tend to brush over um, his gaffes, his speaking gaffes or, you know, his whatever, whatever scandals he's had. But at the end of the day... As a viewer of television, as a viewer of news, as a consumer of information. Sorry, I'm taking water breaks today. I got a dry throat. It's the fall. I have noticed that Joe Biden has lost a couple of miles an hour off of his fastball. My observation. And it doesn't get a lot of play, which is great. I mean, I think Fox brought it up a couple of weeks ago and then dropped it shortly thereafter. But as a casual observer... Um, I don't see the same fire in Joe Biden's belly that I saw when he was the vice president for Barack Obama. In fact, 
Had Barack only wanted to do one term, I think Joe could have quickly and easily taken the second term and been a great president for the United States and possibly had a second term himself. That being said, that would have ended already. And here we are. Um, So I don't know that Mr. Biden has the legs for the office. Now, say what you want about President Donald Trump. Um, I believe Trump is either the same age, if not older, than Biden. And when you do a side-by-side comparison, it's really like a little leaguer and a minor leaguer throwing a fastball. To me. That's just how I see it. So I, I don't really have a lot of faith. Now, sprinkle in on top of that this week's breaking news about that phone conversation in which the president... Uh, the United States spoke with the president of Ukraine and asked for renewed investigation in Joe Biden and Joe Biden's son's involvement with a special prosecutor in Ukraine for an energy company for which Joe Biden's son Hunter sat on the board of. That that could prove to be the nail in the coffin for the Biden uh, campaign this time around. And uh, to be honest with you folks, this is it for Joe. It's kind of like Hillary's last stand. It's 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 over. I think the game's passed him by at this point. So that leads us down the line further. And you start looking at some of what I consider the secondary candidates, because I really do see this becoming a two-horse race on the Democratic side. But that also opens the door to Cory Booker, Kamala Harris. Um, I, I know the candidate and I honestly, I, I hate to admit it because she's such a dark horse that I just don't think she has a sh- shot. But I know the last name is Gabbert. Um, I, I, I don't see it. Uh, Pete Bootyedge is actually the one candidate that I think has the most potential and the least support in the Democratic field for the United States presidency. Um, not only is he a former military person, he is an openly gay uh, mayor in the great state of Indiana. And I think he has all of the recipe ingredients to be a phenomenal candidate for the left. Yet, for some reason, and I don't know what it is, he isn't even really in the conversation. I mean, he's polling single digits and low single low single digits. So it's it's kind of like Gabbert to me. Um, and then that also leads us to the mouthpiece, um, the, hey, look at me, look at me in the corner guy for the left. And that would be good old Beto O'Rourke, who I think had, was one of those meteoric rises and meteoric falls. Um, I don't see him being a strong candidate. I think he has too many skeletons in his closet. I think he has too much to overcome. He's too progressive, too too polarizing. And it's funny. We, we have that guy in the office currently, but it's different. And what I mean by that is you can polarize, you can be a polarizing figure and still be effective. Or you can be a polarizing figure and be ineffective. And I think Beto sadly has the recipe for the latter, not the former. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, I'm going to make a prediction here on my podcast because this is just how I see things playing out. I see um, Scandal Joe stepping out. And within that vacuum, instead of one of the others stepping up, I do see Hillary re-entering this uh, late in the game just before Iowa, last minute, you know, so the last, the last possible minute that the Democrats can hoist a candidate um, from the ashes, 
I personally see Hillary being raised from the ashes. She's been extremely quiet. She's been just carefully tweeting a few things here and there. Um, she did she did post on Twitter this week that she supported Nancy Pelosi's decision to impeach to start impeachment uh, proceedings against the president of the United States. Little bits and pieces, and I think that's absolutely calculated um, and done on purpose. So as this pans out, picture this. Hillary and Warren, that's what I see in the Democratic primaries um, and then eventually running on the ticket of Hillary as the presidential candidate and Warren as the vice president and then eventually Warren on the presidential ticket down the road. Um, say whatever you want, September 29, 2019, my pick for the Democratic nomination for the 2020 presidential election is her again. <laughs> Hillary is coming back. That's how I see it playing out. Um, so beyond that, I really don't know what else to say, except um, it should be an interesting, interesting primary season ahead of us. Um, I have yet to ascribe a candidate as my own. I will continue to watch the Democratic candidates um, battle it out and duke it out through the debates and through their press clippings and through their interviews and their guest appearances on late night television and try to, you know, pick and choose who I think are the stronger candidates. And we'll see. Um, I happen to think if it becomes Hillary versus Trump in 2020, I honest to God think Hillary wins this time. I really do. But if if it's any of the others that I mentioned, whether it's Biden or Warren or O'Rourke or Buttigieg or Gabbard or Booker or Harris, I just don't see it. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there will be as as there has to be. You know, if you followed this presidency as since its inauguration through today, you know that just when you think that another shoe can't possibly drop, another shoe is going to drop. So barring a full-blown impeachment and removal from office, leaving Mike Pence as your president, commander-in-chief, I don't see Trump losing to anyone in this field. Now, what does that mean for the U.S. in general? Well, I'll tell you that it will mean four more years of continued pining to remove him from office. Um, I hope that that will also continue to fuel Trump's desire to promote this country, to promote industry within this country, to, to put in place agreements and trades that allow us a better opportunity to, to better our home turf, so to speak, our, and, and, our, and our defense. Um, I also hope that in some way, shape, or form, a new um, Secretary of State can be put in play that has more autonomy. I would really like to see Donald Trump take a step back from international affairs. I just, again, as I talk about Biden losing a few uh, miles an hour off of his fastball, I don't believe that Trump has a fastball in his arsenal when it comes to foreign diplomacy. So if you could put in play a secretary of state that had the autonomy to 
put the United States' best interests in hand, yet do it through traditional foreign policy channels and methodologies, then I think no one touches Trump in 2020. The problem is he is so narcissistic isn't really the word for it, although the Dems love that one. Um, He's such a control freak. That's the best way to put it. That he only trusts his own ability to um, make deals, to negotiate, to um, employ a lot of the strategies that are in the book, The Art of the Deal. And I you know, regardless of where your political affiliation is and regardless of what your industry is, whether you're an engineer, a scientist, a doctor, um, a salesperson, customer service, or stay-at-home parent, I implore you to read The Art of the Deal. As silly as that sounds, the entire presidency is summed up in the pages of that book. Look at the way he negotiates. Look at the way he brings people to the table. Look at the tactics that he employs. I mean, if I was a foreign national head of state, if I was, you know, Putin, or I was the president of Ukraine, or I was Macron, or I was Trudeau, or you, you, you name it, if I'm any of the world leaders that we speak with on a regular basis, I would have read that book cover to cover and understood the strategies. Unfortunately for Trump, Someone's going to do that or someone's already done that and we're getting played because the strategies that he has employed since the inception of his presidency are strictly ripped from the headlines of that book. So I, I implore you, read the book. It'll give you a better understanding of the negotiation tactics that Trump and his administration likes to utilize both in domestic and foreign uh, diplomacy and right, wrong or indifferent, the the results prove themselves out uh, that he has been successful and he has been an abject failure in sticking with those core principles that are in the book. I'm tired. That was my politics. That was, what, 40 minutes of politics? Holy fuck nuggets. All right. So spiritualism is our second topic. And again, it's a third rail topic in most households. You know, you're not supposed to talk about religion. You're not supposed to espouse your your beliefs on it or whatever, you know, whatever you have banging around in your head. Um, but there are, I'm going to, you know, provide a, a positive spin on this and, and, and show you how you can take spiritualism as a whole and create a nice, um, what's the word I'm looking for? You can create a nice um, takeaway if you're not an overly religious person. And to know me is to know I grew up in a very, you know, strict Roman Catholic family. Um, and I, I left the flock a while ago. I left the flock mainly as a child. Um no fault of my own, no fault of the churches. Just we we had diverging thought processes. I'm extremely fact-based. I mean, go back, listen to the, the podcast in season one if you want the whole story. But at the end of the day, um, although I don't necessarily subscribe to the Bible as the gospel, so to speak, or the Bible as fact, I do take the lessons, the deeper meaning lessons from um all religious texts, and I've read a bunch of them. Um, I will go so far as to let you know I've not read the Quran. Um, 
mainly because I just don't have interest anymore. By the time the Quran became a Western popularized spiritual book, I had already completed my journey in in a in a sense that I felt complete in that I felt I knew enough about about everything that I did I just didn't need to expand any further you know a lot of the a lot of the stories are transferable a lot of the lessons are transferable and whether you know you're a Hinduist a Buddhist a Jewish person a, a Christian person and all the subcategories under each one of those religions t- the, the lessons are the same and that's that's really to me what spiritualism is um do you have to subscribe word for word? Seventh-day Adventists say so, but I don't. Um, I think you can you can derive a lot of information just from the lessons. And so you say to me, you know, Joe, what the fuck are you talking about? What, what lessons? Um, one of the greatest lessons that I've learned from reading several different religious texts is that there is an underlying overwhelming continuation of gratitude and gratitude takes several different forms but in its core gratitude is an appreciation for that for which you have and that for which you don't have and I like to think that I am filled with gratitude on a regular basis you know I don't want or desire more than what I need to survive um, a lot of people are not like that. We call them, you know, in the U.S. or in, in Western civilizations, even in Eastern civilizations, they're called materialistic people. People that constantly, you know, the, the golden rule is he who has all the gold rules. That's a different mentality. Uh, that's not a mentality ba- built on gratitude. Um, however, I try to feel and exercise gratitude daily. I do so through many different ways. Uh, One of the ways that I try to provide gratitude or express gratitude is when I wake up in the morning. I try to list 10 different things each day that I am thankful for. Things that are either in my control or outside of my control, but that I'm thankful for, you know, because there is so much in life to be thankful for, whether it's your health, your marriage, your kids, your job, your, you know, the fact that you are not living um, as, you know, what do they call that? Food insecure, you know, where you, you, you know where your meals are coming from. Um, I'm filled with gratitude for that. I'm filled with gratitude for the children that I have, you know. It's not to say they're not challenging. It's not to say that they they don't have their moments, and they all do, all four of them. Um, but I have an overwhelming sense of gratitude that I'm allowed to parent them, that I'm allowed to be or be viewed as um, an influential person in their lives. Because the, the, the thought of gratitude and truly being thankful is a very powerful emotion. Um, one that I feel is oddly getting lost as we progress through generations. Now I'm Gen X, you know, everyone, you know, woohoo, I'm Gen X. I'm probably an elder X, but I'm still Gen X. Um, then you have millennials and Gen Z's. I think there was a Gen Y somewhere in there too. Um, but I will, t- I actually, I think the millennials are the wise, whatever, doesn't matter. Um, 
But I, I listened to a, an inspirational, it's like a TED Talk sort of thing. And it was hosted by basically an elder millennial. And he was talking about how his generation, the millennials, um, lack gratitude. And as he formed it or, or as he molded it, he, he said that it was at no fault of their own because it was through failed parenting strategies. Um, and, you know, everybody's claws are out, mama bears and papa bears right there on that statement alone. But what is failed parenting strategies? And when you look at the science behind the millennials as a, as a generation, now, um, um, please understand this. I am generalizing a, general, a generation. I am not speaking about your individual child who is an overachiever, and that's fucking awesome. Um, I'm speaking more in line with as a generation in as a whole, the parenting strategies that were put in place for that generation are that um, they are told that they could have whatever they wanted. This is the first technology generation, the millennials. Um, so they lack social skills. They lack uh, building lifelong relationships with people in the sense that you did as a child or as I did as a child. Um, through participation awards, never learning the the true meaning of losing and how powerful that can be in a positive perspective. We always view losing as a negative. You know, if you're a sports fan, you know, and your team, I live in the Northeast, so we're spoiled. Uh, get that out of the way. But if the Patriots don't make the Super Bowl, we're disappointed. If the Red Sox don't make the playoffs, we're disappointed. The Celtics don't reach the Eastern Conference Finals. It's a failed season with the talent that they have. If the Bruins don't make it to the Stanley Cup, well, Bruins fans are more forgiving than most. But you get what I'm I'm. I'm putting forth there at a young age um, millennials whether they came in first place or last place were given participation trophies and that sends a poor message because the science shows that if you finish last and receive a medal not only does that devaluate the accomplishment of those that worked hard to earn the medal and finish first and got the same medal but it also causes the person who finished last and got the participation award to feel bad as though or guilty as though they didn't earn it and is that really the message you want to teach i get where the original thought was that we didn't want billy and jill to feel bad that the rest of the the team got their medals but you didn't so i don't know gratitude in general is getting lost and I don't know how we bring it back. I don't know how we as a global society find gratitude and and make it work. Because I believe that if you could inject it into society on a regular basis, it could potentially become a global phenomenon. And how would that be a bad thing? If you're thankful for the things around you, you might help your neighbor. I mean, I mentioned it on podcasts before. Once a week, I try to pay it forward. I try to do something nice, um, whether it's I buy the coffee for the car behind me or I pay for the coffee of the person behind me when I'm inside the donut shop or, you know, you name it. I, I just try to do something nice, you know, offer to carry somebody's groceries, um, you know, hold a door. I mean, God, you should see the thanks you get for just holding the door for somebody, specifically somebody older. They they look at you as though I thought that was dead. 
And it shouldn't be that way. It should just be thanks. I appreciate that. And then hopefully they go forward and they hold the door for somebody. Um, I just I just think that as a society, we've lost our way with gratitude. Now, let's talk about some more controversial spiritualism, shall we? Um, <laughs> the, the, I'm trying to. I'm looking at a list of topics and and trying to figure out which ones I really want to expand on in this podcast because I could go on and on and on about spiritualism, but at the end of the day, people, one thing is true, and this sucks, but it's absolutely true. And if you can remember this, it may steer you in the direction that you point your life. Okay, every day you are alive is a day closer to your demise. Let that sink in. Every day you are alive is a day closer to your demise. Now, I'm not saying your demise is a week from now or a year from now or a decade from now or even 30 years from now. However, it is a statistical fact that every second you are alive is the second you are closer to dying. So why not make the time you have left that unknown number, whatever that number is? And wouldn't it be cool if you could see, when you see people, you could see the number, the time remaining. But that's a story for a different time. Anywho, um, make the most of your time. Make the most of your existence on this planet. Leave your mark in a positive way. Leave your mark. When people remember you, have them have happy thoughts. Have them have an abundance of happy thoughts. There's plenty of negative around us on a daily basis. We touched a little bit on it in the polarization of politics earlier in the podcast. However, there's an equal and greater amount of positive around us. We just have to open our eyes to it. We just have to fucking see it. It's right in front of you. You can live in the negative or you can live in the positive. I implore you to live in the positive. You know, I have people around me that drive me fucking insane on a regular basis. Do you know what I do to them? I put them in a box. I take their power away. I don't allow them to influence me. I don't allow them to have an impact on me. I don't allow them into my sphere. Try that. Let me tell you, you sleep better. Your mind is clearer. You don't need to to worry about when your text is going to go off or when you're going to get a phone call or whatever, or someone's going to disrupt your awesome time. Just put them in a box. Block the contact on your phone. Don't respond to the text. Don't feed the negative. By not feeding the negative, it's like a plant. In time, it will shrivel and die, or it'll move on to another plant and leave you alone. Be positive do good things for others. That's my PSA for today. And now we are rounding around to the time where I have to say goodbye because this was done on a Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon just before the kickoff of the NFL. So I will tell you that in the NFL, they usually tell players that NFL stands for not for long. And that's how much time I have left. Not for long. So listen, go out, be a good person. Don't be a dickhead. That's my message of the, the podcast today. Don't be a cock knob. Be a normal, decent, nice human being. You'd be amazed at the feedback you get in time 
for that niceness that you put out there. It does come back, people. I promise you. It is an arduous, long-haul process, but it does come back. Be good. Don't be a dick. That's the all I got. I'll talk to you again soon. Um, different topics. Won't probably be rocking on the third rail, but maybe we'll take something from it and then move along. Um, I'm enjoying this and I'm going to keep doing it. So keep listening. Hit subscribe. Remember, iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Radio.com. I'm forgetting somebody. Um, (laughs) Keep listening. Find us wherever you can. Email us at braindroppingspod at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at droppings underscore pod shit i did it right and for those that are playing the phenomenal drinking game that's only your second shot have a good one folks i will talk to you again see ya With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.